free today. Uh, and uh, I just want to, uh, before I pray, yes, Linda, sweetheart. <gasps> She was, she was over on Thursday once? Yes. Oh, but she hasn't been to Wednesday before. You know, I, I'm sorry. You're new to Wednesday, Linda. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Absolutely. There was, you know, even though it was a Thursday to a Wednesday, that's great. All right, go ahead, sweet bug. I'm just here visiting. I belong to the Thursday. <laughs> She's backing out. Uh, my name is Judy Blazer, and I have... Uh, Two great kids, both college graduates, and a wonderful husband named Michael. And, uh, mm-hmm. and she knows Ida now. That's right, and now she knows Ida. Yep, praise God, praise God. Ida, Ida that was here? Remember, we're praying that Ida comes back. Remember Ida? And, and uh, I put her on the email list, so she, if she's checking, she, she knows. So that's good. Yeah, that's right. Judy and Ida. They know each other. That's right. We've been praying. That's excellent. All right. Thanks, sweetie. Let's let's go to Lord in prayer first. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you that it's another day that uh, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, and we can just praise you, Lord. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, uh, but uh, it matters who you are. And so we want to praise you. We want to praise you with our heart. We want to praise you with our soul. We want to praise you with our mind. We want to praise you with all of our strength uh, because you are worthy of our praise. And uh, that's enough for us. That's absolutely enough. And so, Lord, uh, I ask that we would continue to pray your promises. You, uh, you, you bring us along, God, in, in praise, Lord. And when we complain, you just, you know, we just, we just stay the same. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, we would hear from you. That we would, um, as we are, as we are listening to how you are speaking today, Lord God, may we be praising you in our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, and being changed. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, that, that you uh, live in us. We thank you that you work in us. We thank you that you illuminate the word to us. We thank you that it isn't because um, Daniel has written, you know, um, in what, 530 B.C., you know, and it doesn't apply, God. It's your living word that as we read your living word, your living word reads us and we are changed. And so we want to be changed before a holy God today. Lord, I praise you for these women. I thank you that we found this place. I thank you for Waukesha State Bank that they opened this place up for us, Lord, when uh, we are unable to be at the Y, and I just praise you for that. Lord, I I just, um, I just love... Uh, uh, that Dee and, and Amy uh, are here, Lord. May they just feel how loved uh, they are by us and how loved they are by you especially. And may you uh, speak today and we will give you absolute full sway in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, now you know, um, next week we're not meeting because it's Thanksgiving, okay? And I want you to realize that this is a time, Thanksgiving, that you can pour into your family and your friends who you're with, okay? Those are your sphere of influence, and I'll tell you what, God will give you many, many opportunities if you just let him. Okay, because it's usually people you haven't seen for a long time, people this, this, right, and all of a sudden they all come together. Just don't sit eating turkey and watching football, right? Share, share with one another, and when they say what's been going on in your life, share what God's doing in your life. Share what God's doing in your life, how he's changing you. You know, go deeper, go to the deeper. You know, don't, don't stay at just the little, um, you know, 
the surface kind of conversation. And, and pray for opportunities because God will open them up. He opens them up all the time, all the time, all the time. So I'll be praying for you because, you know, uh, as, as the holidays come up, it, he gives us more and more and more, uh, abil- more and more opportunities, I should say, to share the name of Jesus, doesn't he? Right? To share the name of Jesus. So make sure to do that. All right? All right, we are in um, Daniel chapter 3. But in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we ended up, uh, if you open up your Bible to uh, Daniel chapter 2, we had ended up um, with Daniel interpreting wonderful, uh, awful, evil Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay? Not only did he interpret the dream, but he actually told him the dream first, right? So that miracle had never been done before, right? That was an unprecedented miracle. And so, and so Daniel... In chapter 1, we learned that what did, what did he do even before he was besieged in Jerusalem? He purposed in his heart. heart. Purposed in his heart. In other words, he resolved in his heart that this is how he's going to walk. Now walk ye in it. And so that's what he kept doing, right? He kept, he kept praying. He kept reading the scripture. He kept being the person that he is in Yahweh God. And so when the circumstance came and hit him upside the head... What, it was what, what was inside already that spilled out, and, and that was Yahweh God, right? And so he, he continued, he continued, he continued. So um, we realized that in chapter 2, and it was a couple years later, that, you know, Nebi had this incredible dream that he couldn't figure out. All of his goons could not figure it out for him, right? And so uh, Daniel uh, went, and he went in the midst of it and said, uh, Ariok, um, I could, you know, give me a little time. I will beseech the Lord, right? And so what happens is he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together. They pray. They're the big prayer warriors. He goes, um, you know, either a night vision or a dream, and God, of course, his hand is always in it. He reveals to him, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. Okay? And so, and if you remember, there's a lot at stake because what was Nebuchadnezzar going to do? Well, more than head. Chop them all up. Right. <laughs> right. And, or another translation says, from limb to limb. Pull them from, uh, you know tear them from limb to limb. Um, Nebuchadnezzar always had an extreme anger. Uh, he had extreme... Uh, because he was a monarch, an absolute monarch, everything began and ended with him. So if you came into his face and he couldn't control you, he would try to do even more. Okay, Because nobody's going to win over me. Except Yahweh God always did. Right? Right? He tried to set it all up, right? And nobody can interpret these dreams, O king, said his goons, right? Nobody can do that. Nobody can tell the king the dream and then interpret it. Nobody. I mean, God still live among men. That can't happen. That's right, because there's Yahweh God, right? Yahweh God sets himself up and go, goes, watch me. He just needs a person with faith so that he can work through. That's what he's looking for, right? God's always doing that. He just needs one person with faith, like Daniel, so we can work through. Or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we're going to use today. Okay, we're going to share today. So, when God's eyes in Second Chronicles go to and fro the earth, he looks for loyal hearts who he can use. And he goes, there they are. There's my ladies, right? There's Daniel, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they had already purposed in their heart that that's how they're going to walk. Okay? So, uh, at the end of chapter 2, uh, when... Uh, when he had, we, we discussed the whole dream yest, uh, yesterday, uh, last week. Um, 
and it will come back. We're going to discuss it later on when Daniel has the same dream, except he sees it from God's perspective, not from man's perspective, and he sees it as beasts instead of as these um, as uh, these countries. Uh, and so what's going to happen is uh, later on in Daniel, we will be studying that as well. But at this point, after Daniel has told Nebuchadnezzar the dream and the interpretation, uh, he says in verse uh, 45, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. So in other words, he says, God, God said it. I believe it, right? That settles it. We're done. We're, it's a done deal, okay? Then... King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely, here's the key word, your God is the God of gods. Okay, notice he didn't say my God. Okay, he said, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Of course he's going to say that because nobody else could reveal it. And that he knew Daniel was Hebrew. He knew he believed in Yahweh God. He had seen it time and time again, right, with Daniel, okay, with even the eating and the not eating the food before the idols and the wine before the idols and everything. And he had seen how he was better than everybody and stronger than everybody. And so he had seen it time and time again. So now he acknowledges to him that your God is this and he falls prostrate before him. The king, uh, and in verse 48, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Okay, so not only did he hear his dream and it was interpreted, Daniel was just being a loyal follower of Yahweh God. Just do the next right thing. Next right thing. That's it. That's all we need to be. You just do the next right thing. And then God does all the rest. He does all the rest. And now you know, Daniel gets plunder and spoils. Not only did, you know, he do this, and now he saved all the quote-unquote wise men, right? But what happens is, now he's elevated to another level because God's doing it. This is God's hand in it. God's hand in it. He's elevated to another level, and what happens is, is um, he then realizes, well, wait a minute, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were my prayer warriors. They won the victory in the prayer closet with me. Right, and so he asks for them as well, and they're able to also um, be in a in an honor in an honor appointment. All right, so now we're going to chapter three. Now, chapter three doesn't happen like Bing. Chapter three, you know, like it's it's like the next play, right? It's like the next scene. It's eighteen years later. Okay, so I don't want you to think that you know all of a sudden you know here it is. It's it's been eighteen years uh, later. Okay, and and as we look at cha- chapter three, um, I want you first to go keep your finger in Daniel, but I want you first to go to First Peter two, and I want you to look at eighteen through twenty. First Peter two eighteen through twenty, because I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Hey, Angela Sweets, um, once you're a Christian. You have absolutely no problems, right? Oh, <laughs> I love your... <laughs> right? There's, no, there's absolutely no problems, right? Your life is just pure happiness, right? Once, once, right? I mean, absolutely. That's what God promises, right? No. He says, take heart, there will be what? Trouble in this world, but take heart because I have overcome. Have overcome. Okay? So, um, and then 
you know, or, or if you do what is right, you'll never experience ill treatment, right? No, no. Those are never any promises. Okay, I want you to look at First uh, Peter 2, 18 through 20. Who has that? You got it? 2, 18 through 20? 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. Yeah. Do you have it, Val? Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those that do harsh. For it is, uh, for it is commendable if a man hears up, bears up the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how it is to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if, it, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Okay, read that one more time. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, mm-hmm. this is commendable. Okay, if you suffer, thanks, Aunt. If you suffer for doing good, right, and you walk through that, right, it's commendable before God. Okay. A- anybody, if you're suffering for doing wrong, he says, you know, you deserve it, right? But if you suffer for doing good and, and, and you walk through this, it, God, God goes, yes! I mean, God of heaven commends you, right? You're getting a, a huge, that away, that's what to do, right? That's what chapter 3 is all about, okay, of Daniel. It's, it's three Jews who faced a horrible death simply because they obeyed God. Three Jews, God placed there in his sovereignty, and, and, and they're going to face a horrible death simply because they obeyed God. Okay. So, meanwhile, he's going to commend them, right? Because that's what he says. Now, we're on the other side of this, okay? You guys, you have to remember, we are on the other side of this. We know this story, okay? We know this story. So... What happens when we read it, we're like, oh, that so rocks. This is so great. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at you guys. You just, you guys, be there at the moment. Okay? Be there at the moment. Because they had to trust in God's promises then. They had to realize they had to be an overcomer now. They had to realize that this is what they're looking forward to. You know, at, at that moment, they had to realize that this is what is actually happening and this is the death that they're going to face. But they're facing it with a great big God. Okay? And so when you read through this, don't, don't overlook and go, oh, well, we know what happens at the end of the story. Yeah, we do, because <laughs> thank you for the revelation. But they're standing there in the midst of an incredible trial, huge trial. And every one of us has a fiery furnace. Every single one of us has a fiery furnace. What trial are you going through, right? What's, what's falling world stuff? You're in a problem. You're coming into a problem. You're coming out of a problem. You're coming into a problem. You're in a problem. You're coming out of a problem, right? That's pretty much falling world stuff, right? And our big God just takes us through. He delivers us in the furnace or he delivers us out of the furnace. Either way, we're delivered. Right? Either way. And so I want you to realize that this isn't just a cool little flannel graph story that you might have heard in Sunday school. This is something that these three Jews are facing at the moment. And quite frankly, each of us has a fiery furnace. So I want you to read that as we, as we read this. Um, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, now, yeah. King Nebi. Woo! 
Ivet, remember we learned he was the big monarch, right? He, it, that means it begins and ends with the person. He doesn't even have any nobles around him. I mean, he has goons that report to him, but he's the be-all, end-all, okay? So then he makes this 90, you know, it's an obelisk. It's one of these um, um, pyramidal kind of, uh, you know, four-sided pyramid. It's taller at the top, or it's skinnier at the top, and then it goes down to the bottom, right? And, and it's pyramidal. In fact, um, uh, when you go to the Badger game, they have a horrible one of footballs. Have you guys ever seen it? It's terrible. It's over by our seats. We only do that one, right? It's like, really? You made this, you know, it's not 90 feet high. But, but he makes this to Nabu, N-A-B-U. That is his idol. He's God, okay? He makes it to Nabu. Now, now where the plain of Dura is, okay, is Babylonia is sort of up on a hill. And as you look out the plains, he places it there so everyone can see it. Okay? Everyone can see it. So, uh, he makes this 90, that's a little over 8 feet tall, I mean, 8 stories tall. Okay, it's a pretty big obelisk, okay? And what it is, is it's, it's just um, made to Nabu, and he wants everybody to see it, so he places it on the plane, okay? So, uh, in the province of Babylon. Okay, then what he does is he summons the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial um, officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Okay, so now he's inviting all the big shots, right? Everybody's coming. So, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Now, are you getting this? Okay, these are thousands of people, right? And they're standing before this image that Nebuchadnezzar has has erected, okay? Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Once again, the if-then kind of situation with Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't, it's not like, it's never just a then, you know, you'll have to sit out for a game, you know, or you'll have a time out. You know, it's never, it's now I'm going to, you know, first it's cut your head off, rip you to pieces, burn your house down. Now the fact that he even has a fiery furnace, quite frankly, right? He's like, oh, the fiery furnace, if you don't bow down, then you're going to be thrown into it. Okay, so now this is... I mean, this everybody's gathering. It's supposed to be this big um, gala event to bow down to what he has made, okay? And, you know, with this orchestra, all right? And then he says, and if you don't at this gala event, then we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. All right. So he sets the stage. All right. Uh, in seven, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers, remember, the astrologers were part of his goons, right, that tried to do the religion stuff and try to make stuff happen in the spirit world, be able to interpret the dream, okay, uh, came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree 
O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, to mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. What is his reaction, of course? Furious with rage. Not just furious, not just, you know, full of rage, but furious with rage, okay? Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Don't you find that odd that he asks them that? I mean, really? I mean, he's giving them a second chance, okay? Because obviously he likes the dudes because they, they're amazing, okay, and what they've been doing for 20 years in his kingdom kind of thing. But really, he knows they don't worship his gods. They didn't even eat the, free, the food. They're not even eating the food, okay? And he goes up to him and he says, are you sure? You know, I mean, I mean really, is it true? Uh, and in verse 15, now when you hear the sound, now, so he's giving it again, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Setting it up again. Setting it up. Yahweh God's going, watch me, watch me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. And notice they call him, like um, Val pointed out last week, O Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, they don't say, okay, they will, but at this point they're calling him Nebi, right? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, capital G, we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Is that pretty much straightforward? I mean, they're not giving any excuses, right? They're not excusing themselves. They're not blaming anything, right? It's like, look, this is who Yahweh God is. This is not what we're doing. This is our, who our God is. And that's it. And by the way, he'll also deliver us from you. So, nana nana boo boo. You know, let God have it. I mean, he's, he, what he will do, he will do. We will give him to, we are giving over to him because we trust him. We have faith in him alone, period. Because guess what? We don't trust you, Nebi, but we trust him with you. Same with us. Your fiery furnace, you don't trust that person necessarily, but you trust God with that person. Right? That's how you walk through it. That's how you walk through it. Okay. Then, 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. See, before he was trying to woo them, right? I'll woo them. Right? Now he's madder and hatter. Right? Um, his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Okay, now, now he's past even common sense thinking with him, right? He's like, wah! He goes into fury, goes into rage, goes in this. They, they, I gave you another chance. What's wrong with you idiots, right? And now he's like, seven times more. So now he, he's such a control freak, he's got to do something more to show that he's in control. So he says, heat it up. Seven times more than usual, verse 20, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Like they're gonna, like they're gonna, you know, fight. 
Like, really, the, the, brings the strongest guys. Like they're going to like punch them out or something, right? Uh, let's see. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers. Remember, they were the strongest soldiers, okay? Who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Okay, they couldn't even throw them in because they're dead. So now they, boop, they just, they just fall. Are you, are you following me? I'm going to tie you guys up. We're going to throw you in this list. I mean, poof, dead. And they, they fall in. I love it. God, God is such a sense of humor. I love this. Then, in 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, the goons, around him, right out, remember this goons, okay, around him, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. What are they going to say? Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. Can you just see him? (laughs) (laughs) Remember, the the guys had died, right, because it was so hot. So he's like, Peeking in the little area, okay? So he approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of what? Aha! Capital M, most, capital H, high, capital G, God, okay? Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Okay, now all, remember, Thousands of people are seeing this, right? Because they were there to look at the big old statue going up, right? They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. See, when God does a miracle, he does it complete, right? Complete. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. See, Nebuchadnezzar gets it up here, doesn't he? He gets it up here, okay? Therefore, I decree... That meanwhile, you know, God's done all this amazing miracle stuff. I mean, you, you be there. You're like, oh, right? These guys walk out. Thousands are looking. They're not at all. The statue's like, that's, this is the miracle, right? Are you kidding me? That statue is nothing. I mean, look at this, right? And so so he, he has to say, like, well, wait a minute. I'm still in control. So I'm going to decree then that you have to, you know, so then he has to decree. So he says, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be <laughs> would be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then, win-win situation. What happens? The king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay. <laughs> I, God has such a sense of humor. I like really, Lord. I mean, look, look at what He allowed. Okay, look at what He allowed. Go back to um, chapter three, verse one. I want to just walk through this so that we can see the application for us all the time. Okay, so, so. Remember, Nebi is so consumed with himself that he makes this image of gold, right? And he sets it up in the, in the, on the plane, and then he's going to have a great big party 
to commemorate it and make sure everybody bows down. Now, he does this to Nabu, who is the the head god of you know small G of gods. Okay, and and so he wants he wants everybody to worship that. Therefore, he is like the viceroy of of the god then, okay? Because he's commanding that. So then he'll be blessed by quote-unquote the small g god, okay? So, um, you have to remember, this is now 18 years later after Daniel had interpreted, had told the dream and interpreted the dream. Okay. And remember, in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylon, was head of what? Gold. He was the gold. But if you notice, this isn't just, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is probably thinking, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to come to happen. I'm not going to be just the gold, and then I'm going to be taken over by Medo-Persia, right? That's silver, and then Greece takes over Medo-Persia by bronze, and then uh, Rome takes over Greece uh, by the um, clay and the stone, right? Oh, no, 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 I'm going to make this whole obelisk gold. I'm going to make it all gold. Not just the head. I mean, you could just see him thinking this, right? And there couldn't have been enough gold in all of Babylonia to do that. So what they did in the ancient times is they would construct it out of wood, and then they would overlay it in gold. Okay, so so you can see he's sort of already pushing against the pricks there about, oh, no, no, it's not just the head. This is, this is, this is who I am. And this is, you know, who our Nabu is, all right? And so, and so he does it, you know, big, 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 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, okay, at the bottom. So, uh, I did some archaeological study when I was studying this, and I found this, that on the plains of Dura, there stands today a rectilinear mound about 20 feet high, an exact square of about 46 feet at the base, resembling the pedestal of a colossal statue. So they have found what they believe to be this, this obelisk. Okay? All right, so now, all of the dignitaries in all of Babylonia are there. Okay, it's like, it's like everybody's there. Okay, thousands of people. They are, they're called from all over. They are there. So, so when you're talking about the satraps, those guys are the governors of the large provinces. Yes, sweetheart. No, he is not. He's taking care of business. Court. Yes, he's back in the court. He's taking care of business. Only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, uh, otherwise he would have been in the fire too. Exactly. All right. So, so um, the satraps are the governors of the provinces. Okay, the administrators are the lieutenant governors. They're like Rebecca Clayfishes to Wisconsin. Okay, um, the governors are the administrators of the small territories. The counselors are the advisors to the governor's officials. The judges are the ones who administrate the laws of the country of Babylon, and then uh, the magistrates are the ones who are the enforcers of the law. They're like the police. Okay, and then of course, then all you know the other officials of the provinces; those are the executives. So he invites all the prominent people. Okay, and and um, the demand is that you must come to this dedication ceremony, and so that um, Nebuchadnezzar is using this to worship um, this image as a test of allegiance to him, not to Nabu, but to him. Okay, because he's commanding that you bow down to it. All right, so, so in verse four, verses four through six, he commands then for them to worship. He commands them to bow down. Okay, and um, notice that he has all of these incredible stringed instruments there. He's got an orchestra there. Okay, horn, flute, harp, a lyre. Do you know what that is? It's a small harp that has about seven strings. It's very, it's small. Okay. Um, 
uh, then a harp, and then also in the revised standard, what is called a psaltery, P-S-A-L-T-E-R-Y, a psaltery, and that's a stringed instrument like a harp. So like a lyre is a smaller one, a uh, psalter is about this big, and then the harp is the great big one that, that we are familiar with, okay? So in other words, you know, this was really an impressive orchestra, okay? This was a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar was making this a really, really big deal, okay? And so he says, whoever doesn't fall down then in front of all this, uh, and, and when the music starts, um, then I'm going to regard you as committing treason, is basically what he's saying. That, you know, I'm, you're going to be committing treason. Now, this isn't only in a religious offense. This is treason. This is treason, okay? So... So, um, in, in one of the commentaries, I want to read this to you, it says this. In this, Nebuchadnezzar is just like most politicians who often seem willing to use religion to strengthen their grip on political power. Politicians are happy to blend together spiritual allegiance and national allegiance. An example of this was displayed in 1936 when Er Baldur von Schirach, head of the youth program in Nazi Germany, said... If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany. And whoever serves Germany, serves God. See how he brought that all together? See how he brought it all together? Another example comes from 1960, when the president of Ghana had a slightly larger than life-size statue of himself. <laughs> right? Erected in front of the National House of Parliament. An inscription on the side of the statue read this. Seek ye first the political kingdom, and all other things shall be added unto you. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> in front of his parliament. The statue was destroyed after a bloodless coup in 1966. Okay? All right. So he's, he's using this quote-unquote religion, right, and political power, which happens throughout the ages. Okay? So, he says, and if you don't bow down, then just in case, just to make sure that you do, right over here, if you just look, right, you know, fiery furnace. You see it? <laughs> right, right. Here, here's the example. Bow down, orchestra, great food, we'll have a gas. Over here, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Not so much. Not so much, right? So, so, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you have to remember, we, you know, as we've been studying him, he, he was not a man who allowed lawbreakers to go unpunished because he was the end-all, be-all, so he could do that, okay? And so, um, as I was reading uh, extra-biblical stuff, in cuneiform writing, do you guys know what that is, cuneiform? Okay, cuneiform is like pictographs. If you were to look at it, I should have brought my... My iPad and, and shown it. It's like pictographs, and with a pictograph, uh, it's it's like writing and symbols together. Okay, like a little triangle, uh, an upside down, like a carrot kind of a thing, or a face, or it was it was. It's called cuneiform. Okay, and it's the earliest form of written expression. Okay, and and they were written on clay tablets, and with a and the, the object that they used to write on was a blunt reed, a reed, okay? And so what happens is that the imp- impressions then were wedge-shaped. And in Latin, cunea means wedge. 
So it's cuneiform, okay? It's wedge-shaped form. So they would use this. And so it's on clay tablets, all right? And what happens is the Phoenician alphabet came around um, um, 2 AD, the 2nd century AD. And so that then the cuneiform was all done. So the Phoenician alphabet started taking over, okay? However, they have found in cuneiform writing that Nebuchadnezzar is described as so devoted to justice that he did not rest night or day. It's written in cuneiform on clay tablets, okay? He did not rest night or day. The document also tells of a criminal guilty of a second offense who was decapitated and afterwards a stone image of his head was displayed as a warning. Okay, so this is the person we're talking about. Bow down to this, or there's the fiery furnace. Okay, in other words, you will not go unpunished if you if you do not. Okay, and and we they have found in cuneiform writing that he does you know worse and and better. Okay, so the crowd then in verses seven, right? They all obey the command. Right, they start singing. I shouldn't say singing. They start playing the, the instruments, and uh, when all the people heard the sound, what happened? Whoa! Right, they bow down. Whoa! Sound. They bow down. Okay, and so uh, what I noticed when I was studying this that Nebuchadnezzar's grand idolatry celebration was um, was accompanied by music. Okay, it was accompanied by music. It was elaborate. It was well produced music. Okay, look at everything that was there. Okay, it was or- orchestral. Okay, which reminds me of the great inherent power of music, right? Of music, whether it's used for good or evil. Okay, because we're made. I mean, to think that God made us um, not only to talk, but to have a voice box, but to have music in our soul that will come out through singing, the fact that we can sing, the fact that we learned how to make some instruments that those would actually, you know, that he, he created through our mind that, you know, we could actually play and make music unto him. Remember all, remember David would be making music and psalms and spiritual songs, right, in this? But, but I want to caution you that he's using music for evil. So music can be used for either evil or for good. And you know that. You know that. You know that. So we have to be very careful, very careful what we put in us. Very careful what we put in us as far as music, okay? And so, the music goes on. Bam! They fall to the ground, okay? And then in verses 8 through 12, there are three Hebrew dudes that don't go down. Okay, and so um, these Chaldeans, remember the Chaldeans? They're the guys who were the, um, the, um, the overseers of the goons. Okay, they're the ones who always went to the, the astrologer overseers, who always went and, and got the opinion of all the goons and went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, this is what we think, O king. Okay, well, the Chaldeans are the ones that are uh, looking around. The three Hebrews, they didn't go down. Okay, so in verses 8 through 12, uh, these guys come forward to Nebuchadnezzar and they accuse the Jews. They come forward and they accuse these Jews. And they, they, you know, my guess is they had a political motivation against these guys anyway because they were put in a higher position over the goons. And if you remember, the goons couldn't do the, the uh, dream and couldn't do the um, interpretation of the dream. So they know that these guys are in a higher estate than they are under Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so they're, you know, a little upset with this. And so they have every opportunity then to say these guys didn't go down, okay? Uh, because 
I'm sure all these years there had been this bitterness brewing because of the you know they had been promoted to a high office along with Daniel and they had not. Okay, they couldn't come up with the with the goods. Okay, so so he goes. They go to Nebi and they tell him what. Um, okay, they aren't serving your gods or worshiping this gold image. Okay, this is what's happening. Okay, so so. My, when you read the scripture here, it seems apparent that nobody else sees this happen other than these guys. Okay? Because, you know, it, their failure to worship the image was not discovered in, until these certain astrologers, these Chaldeans, made it known to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And so, um, you've got thousands of government officials in attendance there, right? Okay? It would be easy to overlook those three, wouldn't it? Right? I mean, you've got thousands, right, to overlook those three. Okay, and, and so, um, you know, and additionally, we see that these three Jewish men did not lodge a formal protest, right? They, did, they weren't obnoxious. They didn't, you know, say, that's not, right? They didn't, they didn't make a formal protest kind of thing. They just simply refrained from the sin of idolatry, right? You guys, that's how you walk. That's how you walk through life. You simply refrain, refrain from the sin, right? You simply refrain. Remember when we were in James, right? You, you know, you, you refrain from the sin. And so they knew that this was not the way to do. They're not going to bow down. And so they just refrained from the sin. They didn't get obnoxious. They didn't throw a, you know, a, a complete... Uh, formal lodge against this complaint kind of thing. They didn't stand up and say, you know, this is who our God is, and this, this, this. They just did the next right thing. Because they had purposed in their heart already. Okay? God loves that. He uses you, uses you, uses you. You're just doing the next right thing. Next right thing. Next right thing. Next right thing. And you're, it's like, you, you don't, they don't want to bring anything to themselves. They want to give glory to who he is. And so they're not going to bow down. And then God is able to intervene and do what he does best. Mysteriously. Wonderful. So he does receive all the glory. I mean, people think that they're there to give all the glory to the Nebuchadnezzar in this image, don't they? Oh, no, no, no. The end of the story is God gets all the glory. Yahweh God gets all the glory, right? That's the same with us. The same with us. We just simply refrain from sharing in the sin of blank. Right? I mean, you'll see it time and time again. I don't care. Maybe even this Thanksgiving. You know, you'll, you'll be a peculiar person because you're not bowing down to some sin. Because you're not joining in with something. Okay? But that's who you are. And, and God goes before you and takes care of all that. It's not that you're being obnoxious. You're not, make, you're not putting them down. You're not doing anything. You're walking through this with your eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. That's all it is. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did continually. Okay, And so in verses 13 through 15, now Nebuchadnezzar comes and he interviews the three Hebrews. Okay, Now he likes these dudes, Okay, but he comes in rage and fury because they haven't bowed down. And so you know, he says to them, okay, um, is it true? I mean, is it true that you know? I mean, that you didn't bow down. In other words, you know, I guess we can give him a little credit here, if I can use that word with Nebuchadnezzar, because he didn't, he wasn't believing hearsay, and he wasn't, you know, believing his goons. Okay, I mean, really, he didn't have a lot to believe with him anyway, right? But he he wasn't believing the hearsay. He wanted to hear from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego themselves. 
And he said, you know, is it is it true? Okay, and so he went and he did a personal interview in Rage and Fury. In Rage and Fury, okay. So, you guys, as I'm reading this, this is even a greater test for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now. Okay, they don't bow down. Somebody sees them, goes and tells them. Now they come before the king. They know that the fiery furnace is here. And now he says, is it true? What could they have said? They could have lied easily. They could have said, oh, well, you know, you guys are just mad at us, you know, and because we have this, this, this kind of thing. They're making this. They could have, you guys, it would have been so easy for them. This is a bigger test. It's a bigger test. And once again, you guys, it shows, once again, when you have your heart set, when you're, you know, you're purposed in your heart, when you've resolved in your heart, you're not going to go the other way. You're going to do the next right thing. And you leave all the, you know, all you need to obey, like Charles Stanley says all the time, you obey, you trust and obey, and you leave all the consequences to God. That's it. That's the way to walk. That's your faith. You trust and obey, you leave all the consequences to God. Because he's got the big picture. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what you need. He knows what people need around you. He knows. Everything works out. Everything works out for your good and for his glory. Always. Always. And so... And so here's the bigger test for them, okay? And, you know, because it's, it's one thing to make a stand for God. Okay? And it's another greater thing to stick to your stand when you're pointedly asked, Nicole, is it true? You didn't bow down, is it true? Right? Have you been there? Oh, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. You've been there? Remember the Columbine incident? Remember that girl in the library? They knew she was a Christian. And they went, you believe in God? God could have forgiven her. She would have said, Whoa, my life's on the line. You bet I do. Right? It's one thing to take a stand for God. It's another thing. When somebody comes and says, Is it really true that that's the stand? And it's very easy to say because you've resolved in your heart. There's no, you guys, if you start rationalizing, if you start this and that and this kind of thing, you're going to go down. You're going to go down. The second, if you start, the second you start rationalizing, like I tell my kids, if you start saying, well, just this once isn't going to, and just this, you're going down. You're going down. But they didn't. They didn't. They had resolved in their heart, and this is what it was, and they trusted God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, and so, when I thought about this, I thought about, think about Peter. Think about Peter. When they came after Jesus, right, was arrested and after, and the little girl came to him and said, "Oh, aren't you one of the guys that was with Jesus and everything?" Oh, did he stand? No, and he didn't even have a fiery furnace looking at him. He didn't. He had a little fire that he was away from. He should have been, you know, he should have been next to Jesus, not warming his hand by the fire, right? He denied him. Thankfully, there's forgiveness, right? Thankfully. He reinstated him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stayed right there. Right there. My mom used to say all the time, Margo, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Right? And they took a stand for God. This is what Spurgeon said. If, standing before the heart-searching God at this time, you cannot say, it is true, how should you act? If you cannot say that you take Christ's cross and are willing to follow him at all hazards, then hearken to me and learn the truth. Do not make a profession at all. 
Do not talk about baptism or the Lord's Supper, nor of joining a church, nor of being a Christian. For if you do, you will lie against your own soul. If it be not true that you renounce the world's idols, do not profess that it is so. It is unnecessary that a man should profess to be what he is not. It is a sin of super erogation. What that means is payment beyond what is due or asked. It's Latin. It is unnecessary that a man should profess to do what he is not. It is a sin of super erogation. If you cannot be true to Christ, if your coward heart is chicken-hearted to your Lord, do not profess to be his disciple, I beseech you. He that is married to the world or flint-hearted had better return to his house, for he is of no service in this war. That's a disciple. Right? It will cost you something. It will cost you recklessly abandoning your life to him and trusting him. Right? And so, Nebuchadnezzar then says, okay, but if you don't worship, um, you're going to be cast immediately into the lake of, or lake of fire, sort of, into the burning, fiery, fire furnace. You're going to be cast into it, okay? So, you have to remember, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to lose face on this occasion. This is a huge deal. All the musicians are there. All the big shots are there. Great big huge statue set up. Everybody can see it. And here's three little dorky, you know, Hebrews. You know, not bowing down. Not making a big deal. But have a great big God. Great big God. And he's like looking at him like, you know, come on. This, come on. This is what's going to happen. Come on. You know this, okay? And, and I'm, he's not going to lose face on this occasion, okay? Because his pride will make him declare, you know, you'll have no other gods before me. That's what his pride will do. Small g. Okay? So he's putting him on the spot again, but he's giving him a chance because he's not going to lose face. Okay? Here's what Spurgeon says. We can imagine the enormous pressure on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to compromise. Everything in front of them, the king, the furnace, the music, their compatriots, their competitors, all of it conspired to convince them to compromise. Yet God was more real to them than any of those things. You guys, we have so many opportunities to compromise, don't we? The world system, our flesh, Satan, our compatriots, right? I mean, really, we have so many reasons to compromise. And meanwhile, he says, yet God was more real to them than any of those things. Is God more real to you than any of those things? Do not judge the situation by the king's threat and by the heat of the burning and fiery furnace, but by the everlasting God and the eternal life that awaits you. Let not flute, harp, and sack but fascinate you, but hearken to the music of the glorified. Men frown at you, but you can see God smiling on you, and so you are not moved. Right? Where did they keep their eyes? Where did they keep their eyes? Above the line, above the line, above the line. They kept their eyes right on God. We know that this is who he is. We know that this is what he will do. We know he's faithful. And if he, even if he doesn't, he's still faithful. That's who he is. That's who he is. Okay, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, well, who is this you know, small G God who's going to take you, you know, deliver you from my hands, right? Mr. Control, Mr. You know, small G God, who's going to deliver you from my hands, right? And I love this because Nebuchadnezzar thinks nothing of insulting all the gods. Okay, you have to remember, this is his, you know, idol god Nabu, but there's a ton of other gods. But meanwhile, you know, he thinks nothing of insulting all the gods with this statement. Because, you know, he's pretty much his own god. You know that, right? He really isn't a theist. 
you know, he really, you know, he, he, you know, they call him a polytheist. He's, he's really more of, you know, he thinks he's his own God, right? And so, um, he, he's more of a secular and a humanist, really, than he is a theist, right? Because he's so, he's so trust in himself. And if you dare to cross him, then he just tries to get more control with fear, with um, fury and anger and, and rage, etc. Okay, so so um, he he really believes in himself, not really the gods of Babylon. You can see this, you know, un, unfolding, unfolding. Okay, so in verses sixteen through eighteen, then now these Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, insist that you know what, no matter what you say, Nebi, we're not going to worship. These other gods. We're not going to worship this image. You know, this is not what we're going to do. So, what happens is, is that, um, they, I love this, they, they answer and they say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in the matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which, we, which you have set up. Okay. We have no need to answer you. Isn't that the best? We, we answer our God. We have no need to answer you. Right? One little word can fail you. We, we have no need to answer you. We have no need to defend ourselves. You know why? Because he's our defender. He's our defender, right? Their guilt in the matter was clear. They clearly, however, would not bow down to the image. Okay? And so, um, you know, they knew that they would be delivered in or out of the situation because he's the deliverer. That's faith. That's faith. That's faith in the unseen. That's that you know that you know. And the reason you're able to walk that way is because you know him. Because they had been in the word. Because they had been praying. Because they had you know, studied the scriptures. Because they knew him. They were intimate with him. They drew near to him. He drew near to him. To them, okay? They were intimates with him. And you can walk by faith very easily that way when you know him. If you don't know him, you can't walk by faith very easily. If you know him just enough to get into heaven, I promise you, you're never going to be in the fiery. You're never going to walk through a fiery furnace. Well, if you know him just enough to get into heaven, you're never going to walk through a fiery furnace in your life. Well, you won't, because you don't know him well enough to walk through that fiery furnace. To know that he's in the midst of it. To know that he's right there. That he's the shiny guy right there. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, it's the unseen. That your faith is absolutely solid on. Right? You stand in grace. Undeserved favor. You live there. You stand there. You die there. It's always his grace. Always his grace. And so he says, they say, our God is able to deliver us. Whom we serve is able to deliver us. Okay? And so these Jewish guys are showing who God is to Nebuchadnezzar, who his power is, who he is. This is who he is, whom we serve. He is able to. That's praying the promises, isn't it? Not the problems. This is who he is. He is able to deliver us. We know that we know. We've seen it before. We'll see it always. He's faithful. He can't deny himself. This is who he is. He will always, always deliver us, okay? And and, and that's his great power. In fact, not only is he able to save me and the rest of the guys here from the fiery furnace, he's able to save me from you, Nebi. Right? Double whammy. Because that's who he is. 
That's the power. That's who he is. That's how we know him. That's how we walk. We've resolved in our heart. That's who he is. And we're not going to go anywhere else because they knew Yahweh God. Knew. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3.10, right? No. Where you start and he stops, you can't tell the difference. It's seamless. Seamless. It's like the word know is intercourse. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Right? That's how they knew him. And they could stand there in the midst of the in the midst of looking the fiery furnace right smack dab in the face. And they will say, This is who he is. This is his power. This is how he will and can deliver us. Okay? And so in the second breath they go, but if not, right? Here's God's permissive will. Here's God's sovereign will. Right? God's sovereign will. God's permissive will. God's sovereign will. God's permissive will. God's sovereign will. God's permissive will. Do we know his sovereign will? No. But we pray for his permissive will. But if his sovereign will, he says, but if not, right? They, in other words, they're showing understanding and appreciation for who God is. They are bowing down before him knowing that this is what he can and this is what he can and is able to do in his power. But if not... Right? But if not, I'm going to submit to him. There's a submission. But if not, there's a submission to him. Because he knows best. Because he's got his best plans. How old they were? What, sweetheart? How old they were? About uh, 30. 30. About 30. Mm -hmm. About 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know God's power. But they also know that they must do what is right, even if God does not do what they expect or hope him to do. Did you hear me? They know God's power, but they know that they have to do what's right. Even if God does not do what they expect or hope him to do. See, if you don't know him, you can't stand and declare who he is. Can you? No. No. And at the same time, But if not, they were going to do the next right thing anyway. They were going to continue to do the next right thing. You know, it's funny because um, when I was studying this, they know God's power, I wrote down, but they also know that they must do what is right, even if God does not do what they expect or hope Him to do. In my personal life, as we were approaching this election last week, uh, I, I was praying and I believed that because the biblical principles of marriage between man and woman, because of um, pro-life, the sanctity of life, because of religious freedom, because of you know all of these that are biblical truths, I, I believed with my whole heart, soul, and mind that the one who stood for that would win. Because... That's what God would... I, I believe that's what God would honor. Right? And then, but if not, he's still in control. He still has power. He still is the one who is doing the wake-up call. He's still the one who's calling us to pray. He's still the one who is calling us to do the next right thing. And he's calling us out as Christians. Right? To do the next right thing. To do the next right thing. And I, and I felt a lot like... Um, at that moment, at the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I remember thinking, okay, Lord, you know, I must do what's right even if you, don't, even if you do not do what I expect or hope you to do. Because you see the end from the beginning. 
You know what is best. You know what it's going to take for us to fall on our face one by one by one to come to the end of our sin, the end of ourself, and acknowledge you as Yahweh God. And so be it. And so be it. So be it, right? Because, yes, sweetheart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were begging for a king, weren't they? Begging for a king, and then what did they get? They got kings. Oh, my goodness. And that was horrible. Remember when they wanted quail? They didn't want the manna. Remember in the beginning when they got the manna? Whoa! Heavenly food! Can you imagine the first time manna comes down? Whoa! This is great! Wow! What a God we serve, right? And they're... Still got old manna. I miss the quail. You want quail? I'll give you quail. I'll give you quail till you're so sick and tired of it. You won't, right? Remember? Quail that came, right? It's true. It's very true. It's, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. And, and, and you know, I, I love how, you know, how, you know, at this time that we, we are studying Daniel. I mean, it is no coincidence. It's, it's absolutely right where we are. And I, and I think, you know what, Lord, all you expect us to do is stand there like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there's the fiery trial, and proclaim that you're the deliverer. That's who you are. And I am not going to look to the left, and I'm not going to look to the right. And I will see you do unprecedented miracles. That's what he does. That's what he does. He wants to show his glory. He wants to show his glory. And so, you know, he, you know, in his permissive will, is allowing it to be shaken up. To be shaken up. Because we have to realize, God is sovereign. What does that mean? Ruler over everything, right? Right? From him, through him, to him, Romans 11 says, everything is everything. He is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. Whether... The result of our obedience is triumph or tragedy. Are you following me with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as us right now? Right? God is sovereign. Whether the result of our obedience is triumph or tragedy. Romans 8.28, what does it say? All things work, what? Together for the good. Right? Not all things are good. All things work together for the good of those that what? Love him in according what? Called according to his name, right? According to his purpose, right? Read the book of Job. Though you slay me, what? Yet will I trust in you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Angela Hun. A friend of mine just gave me the scripture in Romans 13. And if, just can I read it? it yeah. Says, it says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Absolutely. Absolutely. God is on his throne. He, he, his, you guys, his plan will not be thwarted. It will not be. It will not be. But the cool part about it is, is that we can move God's hand. That's that, you know, work out our salvation as he works in us. That's why we're supposed to be, you know, pure before him, falling before him, right? Absolutely in submission to him. That And pray and, and, and humbly pray and seek for our land, right? And for our country because he will move his hand. That's what he does. Look what he did in, in showing favor to Daniel in chapter 1, right? Showed favor. He showed favor to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He showed favor. He, he moves his hand. When we pray, he works. When we work, we work. Right? Prayer is the work. And so we continue. And as we pray, we're the ones being changed, aren't we? We're the ones being changed before him. So he's sovereign. Whether 
the result of our obedience is is triumph or tragedy. And then secondly, suffering is necessary whether fair or not. Suffering is necessary whether fair or not. Suffered for doing what's right is the heat to burn away the sin and transform us into the likeness of his son. Says Romans 8. Right? That heat's necessary, isn't it? The heat's necessary to transform us, okay? Whether, whether it's fair or not, the suffering is necessary. We follow a suffering Savior. Right? My life first, I just shared Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. suffering. Fellowship in sharing His suffering. Becoming like Him in His death. So somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Because we're transformed. And when people see a transformed life, they'll go, what is it about you? What is it about you? Wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Mendigo, whoa. Wow. Wow. We came here to worship this God's thing and fall down and everything. Wow. We just saw a work of God before our hands. That could be you. Don't you want it to be you? I want it to be me. is the God of gods. That is Yahweh God. Whoa. Whoa. Nobody can do that. Whoa. Be in there and then Jesus Christ pre-incarnate is in there with you? Walking around talking. Jesus is probably going nice job Shadrach Meshach Wendigo. Doesn't this rock? Look at this. Are you kidding me? Can you just see Jesus talking about yeah you know what and, uh, this person this are you serious? There's the son of God walking with them in the fire just crackling and, and you come out not even smelling like you went at Fort Wilderness. <laughs> not, even a, not even a little fire at Fort Wilderness is even on your hair. That's just what he does. Right? With the Red Sea he just didn't part it and you had to go through the slop. It was dry they came through, right? I mean, he does it all. He always does it all. We're the ones that mess it up. Let him do it all. Right? Resolve in your heart. He will do it all. Can you imagine? Can you imagine them telling their story? Can you imagine God's glory being seen? Can you imagine? Right? Miracles happen. As a sign. Miracle means it's a sign that points you toward Jesus Christ. The reason there were so many miracles all the time in the New Testament, Mark through Luke and the Gospels, is because they needed to see that Jesus walking on earth was not a prophet, was not a priest, was not a king, was not a teacher, okay? He was the living God, incarnate. And so when Jesus did miracles, it was a sign to point to him that I'm deity, I'm it. I'm God in the flesh. Here I am. This is it. That's why there are so many miracles. Because he kept pointing to himself, to himself, that I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. Right? Same thing he's doing in the Old Testament. Wants the glory. He's a very jealous God. I wanted to get all the glory in my life, don't you? Oh. If you take vain glory, it's cheap grace then. It's cheap grace. Why did he die? What, so you could get the glory? Come on. Next week, we're going to be off, but the week after, I want you to continue reading all of Daniel, and I want you to continue to write down, and I know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you guys, in that, uh, as I've been praying hugely as you're, as you're reading, I want, next, the week after, we're going to dig into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to 
look at um, Oh, how did I write this? The the mites, the the, the coulda, woulda, shouldas that they that they could have done. Okay, uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. They they might have said when they were um, in the midst of all this and, and and quote unquote found out by the Chaldeans, you know, um, they, they might have reasoned and said something like, uh, well, you know, what good are we if we're dead? You know, we should be amongst the living. I mean, God has us here. So why don't I say, are you following me? All these different mites, all these different rationalizations. Because I want, I want the Lord to have me really stop and examine my own life. Because what happens is, is when you start, when you start saying any of those things, you're going to follow it. Okay? Um, years ago, I think Joyce Meyer did a um, series on, Is Your Mouth Saved? <laughs> Is your mouth saved? Okay. In other words, you know, your mouth needs to follow who you are. Okay. And and what you speak in 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 your words is the power of what? Life and death. Life and death. Okay. So you need to be very careful because they could have easily said all different kinds of stuff and rationalized. I think I think I have about nine or ten of them. And and that would have been completely different. Completely different than how it turned out. Because they could have easily followed, you know, um, at retreat I was sharing about how as an overcomer, you overcome now, right? You overcome now. You overcome now. You overcome now. That's how you continue being an overcomer is you overcome now, okay? And so, and so um, I had shared about our heart, mind, will, and emotions being this a, um, a train... Uh, what is that called? When they, they, right? But they they switch the switch house, the switch, the switch house. They switch the switch house. Your heart is the switch house. Okay. So, what happens is, your heart, meaning your mind, will, and emotions, okay, is the switch house. And you know, a train comes along, right? And then it can switch in the switch house, okay? So it doesn't hit the other train. And in the in the switch house. Our heart, our mind, will, and emotions. Here comes a train, and the engine that is coming is right th- is is wrong thoughts. Wrong thoughts. Okay, wrong thoughts will ne- lead to negative emotions. <coughs> negative emotions will lead to unwise decisions. Unwise decisions will lead to devastation. Devastating circumstances. Okay, so as you as the wrong thoughts are coming in, okay, there needs to be a switch house going on. That's your mind, will, and emotions. Let this mind be in you, which is Christ Jesus, right? Okay, the submissive will that you give over to the Lord, okay? And in this switch house, as these wrong thoughts come in, okay, what happens is, is they need to be switched to right thoughts. Because right thoughts lead to positive emotions, which lead to wise behavior, which leads to fruitful consequences. Okay? Neither of these two, once you're on their, that, once you're on the track, can you change. In other words, wrong thoughts won't lead to fruitful consequences. Right thoughts will not lead to devastating consequences. Okay? Are you following me? Once it's done. So it's in your heart. It's in your mind, will, and emotions where this has to change. Where this has to switch. Okay? That's where the resolve comes from. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived. That's how Daniel lived. The resolve. Purposed in their heart. Purposed in their mind, will, and emotions. Do you think for a second they had a wrong thought come in their head? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they didn't allow that to go to a negative emotion that they acted on then with unwise decision that then became devastating consequences. They didn't because they purposed in their heart to know him. And when they know him, then it's you give over, you have that right thought then, and then it goes merrily on its way. I'm not saying there aren't going to be, you know, hardships and, and bumpy tracks and maybe some of the little ties are off once. I'm not saying that. But there will always be fruitful consequences at the end of that. Always. Next, and the week after Thanksgiving, we're going to look, we're going to look at that. How what we say and that switch house of our heart and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live that way. Live that way. And that's how we are to live now. Because guess what? There's fiery furnaces in our life all the time. All the time. It's if we're trying to rationalize around them. Yes, sweetheart. We had a Bible study teacher years ago that said what goes down in the well comes up in the bucket. So I've never forgotten that. You know, and you're talking about what you say with your mouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's excellent. What goes down in the well comes up in the bucket. Absolutely. That was great. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, are there any questions? Any questions? You guys, are you guys good? All right. Yes, sweetheart. Good, good. Please share. Um, Satan likes to point out those who stand out for God. And God also wants to see who will stand out for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Read that. Say that again. Satan likes to point out those who stand out for God. And God also wants to see who will stand out for him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And then he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world, right? So Holy Spirit's on attack, then we're not under attack. Praise you, Jesus. Did you have your hand up, sweetie? Yeah. Well, when you said, like, that God's in control of everything, like, he's been speaking a lot to me this week, and it seems so elementary, like, what he requires of us. Like, I texted you. Yeah. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and that's what they did in Micah 6, 8. And then, do you know what the scripture is with the salt water and the fresh water coming through? Is that, do you know what that is? It, it, that it cannot be? Yeah. yeah. Um, Luke? I, you, I'm not really sure. Look in your commentary. I'm not sure it is. Yeah. Uh, that, that out of the same spigot, salt water and fresh water cannot flow. Yeah, that cannot be. Right. That, exactly. Which is sort of like what goes down in the, bu- uh, what goes down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Anybody else? Thanks for sharing those nuggets, hon. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sweetie. Well, in, in the Old Testament, we've been um, studying Jeremiah right now. And it's funny, Jeremiah references Nebuchadnezzar too. Oh, Yes. And how Nebuchadnezzar is used for God's purpose, you know, and and the Israelites were sinning against God in Judah and Jerusalem. And so God used Nebuchadnezzar to come upon Judah, and um, he was using the the kings um, to try to change the hearts of the people, and it's, it's... it is amazing. Very fascinating. Yeah, Jeremiah was alive, you know, during the same time as Daniel. That's so what yeah. I was yeah, 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 yeah. Jeremiah, Daniel, and uh, Ezekiel. Thank you. I was like, who saw the wheel? <laughs> Ezekiel saw the wheel. Okay, Ezekiel. Yeah. Typically, look at Jeremiah six, that chapter. If you're looking at the yes, the election and what just that kind of sums yes. that up. Yeah, it does very much so. Did you guys get a chance to read Habakkuk? 
Habakkuk, Habakkuk, yeah. Read the, read the three chapters of Habakkuk. It'll, I, I don't need to say any more, especially the ones who read it, because it will just, it will just come out Im- immediately to you. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just love you, and we thank you that uh, you are our sovereign ruler, and we can uh, absolutely just bow down to you and let you do all the rest, Lord. So I thank you that you, uh, that you have gone before us, Lord. I thank you that you have given us enough for life and godliness in your incredible love story to us. I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for his uh, comrades of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I thank you that this isn't just a story in a Sunday school and how you know wild it is that they were walking through the furnace. Lord, I thank you that, that we apply it to our hearts today. That that's who you are. And that's who you will always be. And so, Lord God, I specifically asked that uh, you would work in and through us, Lord, that you would change us, that you would uh, be so pleased with us as we uh, resolve in our heart, God, just to stand for you. Lord, change our hearts. Let that switch house be one that is your heart, that's your mind, will, and emotion, Jesus. As we uh, read you and know you more, that we become more like you and less like our putrid selves, Lord. Oh, God, make us like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That we can, um, we can stand. Not only for you, but for people who come and say, is it true? Is it true that we can stand in grace? We can walk by faith. We can see your hand move. We can see the unseen more than we can see the seen. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you for everything. Lord, I praise you for for fiery furnaces that uh, checks our heart, that that allows us to see who we are in you, and that nothing and no one can touch us inside of your will. And so I praise you for that. I thank you that in the midst of the fiery furnace, we can absolutely pray your promises. We can praise you for your faithfulness. We can praise you for that you are the God who is enough. We can praise you that, you know, you are the God who provides, who will provide, Jehovah Jireh. You are the one who is our shepherd. You are the one who is the lover of our soul, even when we don't feel loved. You are our lover. You are the one who prepares the way. You are the one who is our Savior. You are the one who places over us the banner over us is love. You are it. We wouldn't be here today unless you ordained it. And so, Lord, may we fall in love with you more. May we know you more. May we walk through our fiery furnaces, Lord God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just talking with you. Knowing that you are the one who is a deliverer. And we can stand in that fire and just chat with you. 
and smile and hold your hand. And nothing touches us. Thank you that your word is truth. And help us to treasure it more than we do our sustenance. Help us to treasure your word more than we do our very daily bread. Take us this week, Lord God, and uh, allow us to be your instruments of the fruit of the Spirit. May your perfect love, your perfect joy, your perfect peace, your perfect patience, your perfect, all the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control just, just absolutely come pouring out of us, Lord God, with our families, with our extended families, as we thank you for our country, for our abundance, that what you have given to us is more than we can ask or think. And so, Lord, just use us. Use us, Lord Jesus. This year, starting out in Thanksgiving, Lord Jesus, uh, for your purposes, may we see, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do, not just the little tiny snapshot of that day, but for your purpose and for your glory. So bless these women, Lord. Use them this next week, Lord, unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.